This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santopadre. We're pleased to welcome not one, but two guests on the show this week. Adam Arkin is a producer, Emmy-winning director, and an Emmy and Tony-nominated actor who's been a fixture on the big and small screen for decades in films like Hitch, The Doctor, Wrestling, Wrestling Ernest Hemingway, A Serious Man, The Sessions, and popular TV shows like Chicago Hope, Northern Exposure, The West Wing, Frasier, Monk, How to Get Away with Murder, and Boston Legal, the newsroom. He's also a sought-after director of acclaimed episodes of hit series such as Grey's Anatomy, The Americans, Masters of Sex, Fargo, Justified, Billions, Sons of Anarchy, and Succession. And if we ask him nicely, he might tell us about working with Billy Barty and Pat McCormick. (laughs) Alan Arkin is a director, author, children's book author, improv teacher, former folk singer, a Tony and Oscar winning performer, and one of the most admired actors of his generation or any generation. You know his work from memorable films like The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, Catch-22, Wait Until Dark, The 7% Solution, Argo, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and Little Miss Sunshine, and a movie we've discussed at length on this show, The In-Laws. He's also written several books, including the terrific 2011 memoir, An Improvised Life. But even with all those achievements, his one greatest thrill and honor was to share the big screen with me, Gilbert Gottfried, 
in the 1985 cinema classic, Bad Medicine. Uh, uh, Gilbert, uh, it was one of the highlights. It was not the highlight. Of... <laughs> it, I got it. it was one of two, two or three others in there that, that I hold in as much esteem. You know, that's, a, that, that's a movie that will never ever be shown again. <laughs> you realize that? It's, it's one of the four times I played Mexicans, which will never, never fly. Again. You know, I, whole, whole I thought, and I'll read the rest of this. It just it's went, enough. It's enough. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and that's that's interesting because you were a, I, both of us played uh, Spanish guys in the movie, and would that be allowed nowadays? No, because there are other Hispanic actors in the world who would. <laughs> Who would probably <laughs> rightfully make a hue and cry? Uh, I think. Yeah, I think we're we're done for as far as that's concerned. Gilbert, you want to you want to tell the audience who's here? Oh, okay. to finish the intro. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies, I'm having a stroke. God Almighty, can't you get an announcer who can speak English? <laughs> Jesus. Adam. Oh, you can't get a sentence out. I see the bottle there. I see the bottle on the side. Adam, Adam Markin and Alan Arkin. That's it. Hello, everyone. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. We got we got through it. That's another thing. And I mean, your entire career, you played so many different nationalities. Yeah, I, I couldn't be, I, until I was 35, I couldn't go anywhere near me. It would be anathema. I didn't know how to do that. I had to play somebody as far away from me as humanly possible. Catch-22 was the first time I ever went. I asked, I asked Nichols, I said, who is this guy? Who is, who is, how do you see him? He says, it's you. And it's terrified me. There is no me. But uh, that was, uh, and I was right. <laughs> it turns out I was right. Listen, I got to tell you, before we go any further, I gotta, you're responsible for the single funniest joke I've ever, every time I think of it, I, I crack up. And I've been thinking of it for a long time now. The one, the one you, 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 you joke about Manson, having lunch with Manson, is the funniest single joke I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was having lunch with Charles Manson in the middle of lunch. He turned to me and said, is it hot in here or am I crazy? <laughs> I can't tell you how many, I can't tell you how many people I've, I've told that to. <laughs> it's, it's, I laugh every time I think of it. <laughs> Thank you. Gilbert, what, what about the Hitler-Stalin joke, the, the, the Hitler-Stalin-Roosevelt one at the party? Oh, God, let's... You still do I, that I, one? I remember the one Hitler joke where I'm walking down the street and I pass right by Hitler and then even say hello to him. <laughs> and, and he... <laughs> and he turned around to me and said, oh, I guess I'm the enemy now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. Oh, wait, wait. I remember the joke now. 
<laughs> okay, good. Uh, <laughs> I I I was talking to Hitler at a party. Afterwards, uh, I went over to Roosevelt, who was at the same party, and I said, "That guy Hitler, I don't like him." And Roosevelt said, "Oh, Gilbert, who do you like?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! That's the one. <laughs> All right, as lo as long as we're doing silliness yeah. right up front, and we'll we jump around like crazy. Adam, we talked on the phone about you working with Pat McCormick and Billy Barty, and I shared with Adam that Gilbert had lost a part to Billy Barty. Yes, which a Adam found rather incredible. <laughs> <laughs> what what part did what part did you lose? Okay, not not a big uh, not a great film by any stretch. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, Life Stinks, the Mel Brooks picture. Yeah. So I was supposed to play, I guess, a legless bum, but that <laughs> <laughs> at the last minute. They got rid of me and got Bill Barty. Billy Barty. <laughs> so I would tell that to a lot of people. I think Billy Billy Barty legless is kind of bananas on bananas, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The double silly. I, I would change the names if you tell that story again. <laughs> <laughs> what what was it like with McCormick? Uh Adam, I know you told you told me you were supposed to be on that shoot for a couple of weeks, and it turned out to be what, like twenty weeks? Uh, I was supposed to be on it, I think, for like three weeks, and I ended up uh, being employed over twenty-two weeks. Uh, <laughs> Incredible! <laughs> what was the, this? Uh, Under the rainbow. Um, uh. Yeah, it, it, those were the days in which uh, a, a lot of the key players on films uh, could get away with imbibing uh, various substances <laughs> and. Uh, and I think uh, there were about three or four complete, you know, having to shut down for a while in order to get everybody back uh, together again enough to film. <laughs> tell that McCormick story. Tell that Pat McCormick story, the way you ask him what's in his thermos. Tell them. That's a great uh, story. We were standing. We were standing while they were lighting. They had asked us to stand there, and we'd been there for like twenty minutes, and it, it started getting really hot, and and. Uh, it was a different time, so people weren't as afraid of uh, sharing a, a drink. Uh, but he had a big, uh, frosty-looking uh, wax soda cup in his hands he was drinking. I said, what is that? He, he said, it's Pepsi. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, can I, can, I have a, can I have a sip of it? And he hands it to me, and I take a, a swig of it, and uh, it's just like... It tastes like a third of it is bourbon, you know? And uh, and I and I look at him. And I say, Jesus Christ, where do you get your Pepsi? And he just looks at me with his eyes slightly hooded and glazed. He goes, Bob's crazy boy. <laughs> <laughs> and that was all he said about it. Bob's crazy boy. Yeah. <laughs> We, we, we've had our share of Pat McCormick stories on this show because we've had people like Buck Henry on yeah. here. You know, this famous story of, of going, uh, he went food shopping with Pat McCormick and he dropped all of his, you know, this one, he drops his groceries on the, on the, on the checkout and he says, did I buy enough toilet paper for all this food? <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
The stories are legendary. I, I used to love him uh, when he would when he would actually show up on the Tonight Show. His his bits with Johnny were amazing. Everybody's in Under the Rainbow. Leonard Barr Gilbert turns up in Under the oh, Rainbow. Oh, jeez. Uh, and, allegedly Dean Martin's uncle? He, he was, was Dean Martin's oh, uncle. Oh, okay. I always yeah. wondered. Yeah. That was true. How many times have you guys worked together? Do you have an exact I number? Because I, I mean, I, Adam, I uh, Alan knows. I about an hour ago. Oh, really? Oh, you yeah. did? G- guess, Adam. How many, yes, off the top of your head. Off the top of my head, I would say it would have to be at least eight times that, before that's exactly right really exa- okay. eight, exactly times. eight times chicago hope i know about choo choo and the philly flash the larry cohen movie yeah uh recently get shorty yeah yeah but then i've been yeah. directed by dad a number of times on stage a did you have the sorrow did you have oh, the yeah. sorrows of steven on there I, yeah i do and joan <laughs> of lorraine oh uh, yeah yeah uh, maxwell anderson play so and then oh, the last, you know. the last thing was was uh, get shorty where where uh, yeah, I, got, I love that I love that I love that cameo. Where I finally and, got to direct you. And and a question to both of you because I I heard this from both of you and and I this is a thought that I always thought when I was going into show business, I used to believe seriously if I had a career in show business, then uh. There was no such a thing as sickness or death or being or, depressed or, or angry. Going to the bathroom. Nothing. Nothing like that. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, yeah, when you're in show business, none of you're immune to all that. <laughs> death. So what? Well, Alan, that comes up in your book a lot. I mean, the the idea that uh, that you you weren't comfortable. Until until the in-laws, I think you said you weren't really even having, you hadn't even learned how to have fun. No, I mean, it was a real, if you get a, if I did a scene that was, that was halfway decent, it was always a sigh of relief. I survived that. Uh, it, it, that, that was, it was, just, I thought I was having fun until I actually had fun one day. And I said, oh, this is what fun is like. It's not like the other things that I was doing for 30 years. Oh, that just gives me a flashback when we were in Madrid with Bad Medicine, I remember you saying, oh, I feel like I'm doing a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Was I doing one at the time? (laughs) According to the critics, no. (laughs) But But you felt, I think both of you felt like you were also you'd be immune to like depression or anything bad yeah yeah and then you get successful and uh, and if you're smart you say hey wait a minute there was a there's life around this when, when they say cut you got to go back to life and you have to do something uh, it, it occurred to me when i was about 35 did you there's there's so much in the book about that and I saw you telling Kevin Pollack that in your early performances you were the, the intensity was was a kind of a desperation. Uh, it was terror. It was mostly terror. I mean I had wanted terror. it so badly for so long that I was terrified mm-hmm. of what would happen if you know I had, make it work. How to make it work. How to make it work. And uh, it's not a good way to live. And you always thought you were going to get fired and I, yeah, I, I was. I always had one eye on uh, on whether people were accepting it. And at what point did Adam come to you? And I, I mean, was is there a specific memory, Adam, of the day that you made the decision 
that I'm going to do this? And part two of that question is, did dad, did he impart the kind of uh, the advice from the lessons that he was in the process of learning? Always. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, not, not necessarily packaged as, you know, I'm giving you a lesson now, but, but primarily through watching him live through those periods and, and, and being very able to share his experiences uh, mm-hmm. with me and other people as well. Um, I don't remember there being a day when I said, this is what I'm going to do. I, I, I was separated from dad for a number of years between the ages of, uh, of like four and 11 and was you know visiting with him during school vacations. And during that time, um, he went from being a, a, a former folk singer looking for work to getting his into Second City, getting his first Broadway show, getting a Tony Award for that, getting his first movie, getting an Academy Award for that. This was all over the space of that time period from wow. my age four to 11. I already was always pining for him and, and wanting to spend more time with him. And then from a distance, seeing this incredible transformation, it made it a very intoxicating uh, potential life that I, I wanted to be a part of, you know. Well, I and, felt that way from, from seeing you playing with friends, even at the age of four, five, six, and seven. The games you would play would very often be theatrical games. And uh, mm. I found there was an... I don't know if you remember that, but, uh, but, but it, it just felt like... It was a given. I, it's nothing we ever talked about, but it just it seemed to me that that's what was happening, uh, that you were preparing yourself, uh, even in your games, you'd be doing scenes from movies and trying to reenact them with kids around the neighborhood. So you, you, nev- you never said anything to dissuade him, Alan, or your other two sons who are also actors? No, at that point, I thought it was I thought it was an honorable profession. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and tell us about... Uh, your your uh, folk singing career. Ah, uh, yes. The Tarriers. It's bo- I don't it's think bo- it's boring at all, Dad. I, I, I people. Well, I, I, I just I played the guitar since I was a kid, and uh, I got out of college. And I didn't have a dime. I didn't have anything to do. I, I was looking for work, and somebody said, "You want to be part of a trio?" I said, "I get your audition with a somebody that this group that's looking for another member." So I said, okay, I got in the group. I thought it'd be a way of making pocket money on weekends. We got together and within a month or two, we had a record contract and we had a a hit record uh, very, very quickly. And uh, I went around the world with them for a couple of years. And uh, I thought it was gonna be an entree to an acting career and uh, like a, a naive young man that I was. And it didn't, so I quit them after two years and had enough money to coast on for a couple of years as a result of the success of the one song. And uh, and that was it. That was my music. And the, the album, the albums are available, and they're great, too. They're just great. Oh, yeah, the music's, yeah. The music's online. Anybody can listen to yeah. it. The Terriers. Yeah. Also, Calypso Heatwave. Tell us the one song, the one song that was a big hit. It was the Banana Boat song, but everybody thinks it was uh, the same as uh, Harry Belafonte's, and it wasn't. Har- uh, it's the, 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 I'll make this as short as possible. Harry Belafonte had his version on an album. It was called Deo. Nobody knew about it. They, they bought the album, but nobody knew about that song. We, we, we 
released ours and called it the Banana Boat Song, and it started climbing up the charts. Harry Belafonte changed the name of his song to the Banana, Banana Boat Song, <laughs> chased us up the charts and won, and then sued us, which we was laughed out of court because we both stole the song from the same place, which was Jamaica. <laughs> so Jamaican folk songs, and the, we both stole it and changed it. But, but before you pulled the plug, you did get to be in a movie with Maya Angelou. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, before she was... A, Calypso Heatwave. Before, yeah, <laughs> before she... Which I think is my favorite Alan Arkin, Maya Angelou movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> There's also, in the book, you talk about how you were in Paris. You were playing that was the, the famous Olympia yeah. Theater. And in the middle of a performance, you suddenly saw this guitar on your back. You looked down at the outfit you were wearing, and you said, what the hell am I yeah, doing? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I quit that night. I, I, I stayed through the gig, uh, and, and then I said, I got to get out of here. I got to go back to uh, what I'd studied to do. And, and Adam, so, you worked with Captain Kangaroo. I Dad and I both worked with them. I, I, I only worked... Yeah, yeah <laughs> Dad, Dad, Dad had... Dad had been established as a character on a, a, a few episodes, and after he had been doing it uh, a, a few times, I got invited to come on and, and play his father. So there's a, there's an episode of Captain Kangaroo with oh, me God, playing the father to my nine. father. That's nine yeah. times you're working on Nine. There you go. See, I knew it was nine. at least eight. <laughs> That's nine. Wasn't there a very wasn't there a short Canadian film, a project, very early in your career? Did you count that one? Canadian? Uh, it, the the short well it's two two different things there there was a canadian film that dad was in that we did a rewrite on together so we wrote together on that okay but the short okay. was a, a short film called people soup that that's the one that i'm talking dad about wrote and uh based on a short story he had published uh when he was in his early te or late teens early 20s and um it got nominated for an Academy Award, that little movie. It starred my brother Matthew and I, uh, and I was all of, I think, like 11 or 12. He was nine. And Did you count that one, no, Alan? I, yes, that one I counted. I thought okay. that was the first thing. I forgot about Captain Kangaroo. It's, it's interesting, too, the trajectory uh, of that, because you, you quit, you went back to New York, you got the, the, the phone call to go join the improvisational group in St. Yeah. Louis. And that's when Paul Sills saw yeah. you and invited you to join Second yeah. City. It's interesting how careers, and this is you know, one of the things in your book, uh, how things just sort of happen. Well, I mean, if, you, if you're how, smart, how, you let them, you let your life work that way. And the truth of the matter is that's what happens to everybody. With you, you ask people my age, has your life turned out the way you thought it would? Nobody's going to say yes. Everybody's had detours and curves and angles. No matter how much you plan, no matter how much you decide, this is the way it's going to be. It's never going to be that way. I'm going to be a teacher because it's secure and I'll be in one place for the next 50 years. You're in there for three years and they want tenure and you don't got tenure and you're fired. You got to do 15 other things. So everybody's life is an improvisation, whether they like it or not, sooner or later. It's profound. I try to be profound whatever I'm on radio. Radio, br radio brings that out in me. Tell, tell us how the in-laws came together. It's the most banal story imaginable. Uh, I, I, I had never met Peter Falk. 
I looked at, I was in a fairly good place in my career at that point. I looked, I would look at television, he was doing a talk show. And I said, he and I would do a good movie together. And I was in, uh, I was, I, I called him up and I said, Peter, I says, Alan Arden. He says, how are you, how are you? <laughs> I said, well, I, I think we'd do a good movie together. You are interested? Sure. Find something, we'll do it. <laughs> so I, I called John Kelly, who was the head of Warner Brothers. And I said, I think Peter Falk and I might do a pretty good movie together. He says, you got a writer? You got an idea? I said, no. He said, you got a writer? I said, not really. He said, you got anybody in mind? I said, yeah. I had just read the uh, first draft of Blazing Saddles, which is one of the three greatest scripts I've ever read in my life. The the one that Andrew Bergman wrote before... Black Bart. What? It was called yeah, Black Bart. It was a yeah. genius script. And I said, I, I want this guy to, I'd like this guy to write it. He says, okay, hire him. I said, let me meet him. I'll talk to him. So I went to Andrew and I said, you want to do a movie? He says, sure. He says, you got an idea? I said, well, the only thing I know is that Peter should drive me insane. I said, as the movie goes on, he should drive me insane. That's the only idea I have. I think that would be somehow a funny conjunction because there's something dogged about him uh, and that would be mm -hmm. good to drive people crazy. So six, <laughs> two months later, he comes back with this perfect script. Uh, perfect, perfect script. We And that was it. That's the end of the story. A Andrew sends a message, by the way, Alan. We had him here. And he was here with uh, Norman Steinberg, one of the writers on Blazing Saddles. He says, ask Alan if he recalls discussing a pirate story in which Peter would put a patch over his good eye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. You almost directed uh, Blazing Saddles. You couldn't. You had you had casting challenges. Yeah, I couldn't find somebody to play the part. It needed somebody who could who could do a comedy version, as if it needed a, as it needed somebody to play Dizzy Gillespie, and I couldn't anybody who could play Dizzy Gillespie. Yeah, yeah. They wound up finding the right guy. Yeah. And you you mentioned before that you were the idea of being a your father was a teacher. Yeah. And he uh, he was one of the victims of the whole Red Scare that we've talked about. Yeah, he was teaching in the L.A. School, city school system, and they decided they're going to have their own tribunals. And they wanted everybody to write down their political beliefs. And then he and a bunch of people said, you don't have any right to ask us what our politics are. That's private information. They said, it's guaranteed. I mean, it's like that way of uh, private polls. It's none of your business. So he got fired and was uh, condemned to be out of work for about 15 years, sued the city of the, uh, the school system and won, but he had died in, after he won his case against the LA school system, sadly. And you said, you said your, your, your politics and your family politics have sort of peaked out in your work a little bit over uh, the I, years. I, well, I don't know what you mean. Uh, that 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 the, that your political beliefs or 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 even the 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 trauma of all that has has shown up in your work, informed it a little bit over the years. Not, not, Am I mistaken? Not the politics of it, but the the uh, uh, but, but but the 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 uh, social issues which my parents felt strongly about. I still mm -hmm. 
I still feel strongly about and feel like I spent a lot of time working at throughout my life. I mean, the idea of racial equality, I grew up with that since I was one. Racial equality, uh, 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 treating labor fairly, the equality of the sexes, uh, uh, things the like group, that. Were the group all, that you were, the group what? that we were talking about earlier, the group that you were in, the Tarriers, was comprised of, of uh, two Caucasians, one African American, and they 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 couldn't play in a third of the states in the in the country at that point. Yeah, and mm -hmm. we, 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 were, we were so immersed in, in uh, an alternate culture that we didn't know we were doing something unusual at that point. I mean, we just were three guys, and one guy happened to be black. We didn't even notice. My first friends in my life were black, two black kids that lived next door. So it was just, uh, it, was, it was something that I, I grew up with. And the idea of uh, a prejudice was... Uh, sh sh uh, vehemently shunned by my entire family, doesn't it? Some way I was brought up, and I'm f grateful that I was. Oh, and and Adam, you once said that you could play. You're good at playing. I think the term was hairy guys. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come yeah. from? <laughs> <laughs> Just, I, felt, I felt it left a wide range of options for casting choices when it came to me. Yeah. Well, between Full Moon High and uh, and Northern Ex Exposure. Yeah. Yeah, Adam in Northern Exposure. Yeah. Right. I, 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 He's sort of a human like being. Like you could play Armenian, Armenians and yeah. Greek. And... I have I have I have played Greeks, not yeah. Armenians, but I've played Greeks. <laughs> We've we've done a lot of uh, shows. We've we've talked a lot about the blacklist on this show, uh, Alan. We've had Lee Grant here, and uh, we talked about it with Ed Asner and 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 several several other people, because a lot of what this show is that we do is about is about entertainment history. Very 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 tragic period. It was a tough period. Yeah. What was weird about it? People say, "Is it like now?" And I say, "No, now it's not. It wasn't like now because about a quarter of the populations lived under a state of uh, state of feeling like they were about to go to a concentration camp. The rest of them were doing hell. Gidget goes to Hawaii. You know, the three quarters of the rest of the country. And now everybody's yeah. in the same uh, in the same boat. Different sides of the boat, but uh, the same boat." What about you, Adam? Is you, obviously you grew up in the same family, same sense of social justice. Does it does it sometimes uh, emerge, appear in your work? Is it is it impossible to separate the artist um, from your beliefs? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly has tended to inform the choices I've made when when there was a choice to be affiliated with something that felt. Uh, politically mm -hmm. irresponsible or or uh, or unwise, but I, I've also played my share of people on the other side of the spectrum. You know, I, I, I like the character on Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, yeah, and and, yeah. Uh, and the character I played on um, um, How to Get Away with Murder. Um, it it, uh, it 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 doesn't bother me to explore the other side of the equation when it comes to a character as long as it's not in some way promoting those ideas. Uh, a project that promoted them, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't abide, but uh, filling that part of the narrative is fine with me. 
you play a pretty convincing uh, uh, sociopath on Sons of uh, Anarchy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you played a morbidly obese guy on uh, Monk. I did, yeah. I, I was one of three actors to play the same role. Uh, I, but uh, I, I was the first person to play uh, a character named Dale the Whale. And then... Um, and then two other actors uh, after me played the role. And I, I never understood what the thinking was, except uh, they were looking for the right guy. <laughs> Are you, you guys, a, a lot of actors want to play those kind of characters. They want to play heavies. They want to play dark characters. They want to explore that side of themselves. Obviously, Alan, you played one of the great screen heavies, Harry wrote. Well, thank you. I mean, it, 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 people got with it. I didn't get very good reviews when I did. I don't think people knew what I was doing. Uh, but as time went on, I, I got better uh, reaction to it over the decades. Stephen King raves about that. That character. yeah, I, I, that's you, what you, I've you've, heard. Re you've read what he's I'm, that's, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm touched by that. They like didn't even you. know on the movie that what he. They didn't even know on the movie what he was doing for for That's a part of the time. They, they they you had tremendous resistance initially when you when you first came in playing the role that way, right? Yeah, and then I had the moment when I pulled the knife out for the first time, and they said, "Oh, they 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 recognized what I was doing. They let me alone." Who played it on stage? Was it Duvall, Robert yeah. Duvall? Yeah. And what yeah. was it like working with Audrey Hepburn? Uh. What whatever your hopes and dreams are about what she would have been like, she was better than that. She was she was an elegant, lovely, charming, fun-loving, hardworking, sweet, dear human being, and I, I just uh, I I was enormously impressed with her. Uh, I hated I hated being rotten to her. I hated it. Uh, <laughs> and rotten to her you were. Stephen King listed. Stephen King says it's screen villainy rivaling Peter Laurie in M. Oh my God, that, that degenerate! Wow, my God, that's a... how about that? <laughs> and well, you I'm... didn't have the German going for you. <laughs> I wonder if there's a chance of going back and dubbing it. Gilbert, give the boys a little bit of your Peter Laurie, just as a comic oh, interlude. Okay. No. <laughs> It was you who ruined it. You, it's your, your stupid attempt to buy it. Kevin found out how valuable it was. No wonder he had such an easy time getting it. You imbecile. You bloated fathead. <laughs> we like to throw those in. <laughs> My, my, my youngest son, Tony, and I have a game. Uh, we, so you have one-word imitations of people. You can Im imitate anybody you want, but you can only use one word. And our Peter Lorre imitation is, cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it was, it may have been Charlie Callis, someone who came up with that Boris Karloff was... Auntie Pastel. That's right, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Very and, good. And uh, we got, for Sean Conroy, we got Slayride. <laughs> Cary Grant. Cary Grant was uh, Corduroy. <laughs> what does it say again? Corduroy. <laughs> <laughs> Let me make Gilbert. 
Gil, Gil, what about Humphrey Bogart in the post office? Oh, That's what I, I do a whole bit about uh, it. Like, hum, hum, yes, Humphrey Bogart in the post office. Stamps. <laughs> Alan knows yeah, your act. And Bela Lugosi, when uh, he's not wearing a watch and you ask him what time it is. <laughs> Ten. <laughs> and and uh, Christopher Walken, when you ask him who his favorite stooge is. Mo. <laughs> the best word for him is wow. <laughs> wow. Adam, what about playing creepy characters like Ethan about? in Sons of Anarchy? Or or even and he's lovable, but but he's certainly a, a, a an antisocial character and, and that's Adam's character in Northern Exposure, who we talked about. And I heard you say he was close to the real you in some ways. In Northern the Adam in Northern Exposure? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah the, the, he he's yeah he's my id. Uh, Adam in Northern Exposure right. is just my living id. Um, <laughs> he is a he is a misanthrope. Yeah, I, I I got to play that role because the producers of Northern Exposure had had produced uh, another short-lived but very good series called A Year in the Life, um, and I I was playing a very conservative conservative character on that show. And after working with me for a bit, they 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 came to the realization that I was kind of nuts, and uh, and said, <laughs> you know, we we want to find something to write to that someday. I was like, by all means. So that show came to an end, and a year later, uh, they they sent over the script introducing the character on Northern, and it, it was just a thing of beauty. Yeah, it's it's a lot of people consider it the best episode of that show. Oh, uh, well, I I I don't know about that, but. Uh, but it was certainly and one then, that's... And then you started directing. Yeah, Northern was the, the first chance I ever had to direct an episode. And uh, they, they were kind enough to let me do that after I had observed and, and shadowed other directors on the show for a while. People on yeah. cruise, when, when I'm working, people on cruise come up to me all the time and say, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yeah. So we just got through working with your son. We loved working with him. That's a, that's a, nice, that's a nice bit of feedback, Adam, to hear. That so many actors enjoy being directed by you. It's yeah, it's it, nothing could be a higher compliment as far as I'm the concerned. actors and the the crews, the crews too. A lot of people on crew. I saw an interview with you. We had Barry Sonnenfeld here a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying how important it was for a director to know the answers to questions, even if he didn't know them. Yeah. To an to answer any question if somebody says which which shirt, which tie, which watch, yeah, which vase. And, and you said that that's something that at the beginning you were doing, and now you've evolved a little bit on that. It's, you've, you've earned the right to not know the answer right away. Well, I, I, I first of all, anything Barry Sonnenfeld has to say about directing, I, I will take a back seat to that because I have a huge amount of respect for him. But I, I and I think there are a million, uh, a million micro decisions that you have to just make up your mind about. Uh, but just as importantly for me, I have found that um, the more I've opened up to the help and the advice of people around me on a crew, uh, the the better I do. Um, crews are, are crews are filled with people who have a huge amount of expertise in their individual disciplines, and um, it, it it's just insane not to avail yourself of that. You don't have to use mm -hmm. everyone's idea every time you hear one, 
but um, but nine times out of ten, I, I have found that by relying on the expertise of the people on my crew, um, I, I I end up making better decisions as a director. And and a question to both of you: What's the first sign that you're working with a bad director? The first sign. Yeah. When you that moment where you say this guy just doesn't know what he's doing. Anytime they cast me, they're automatically suspect. <laughs> it's a hurdle they're going to have to climb over in the course of our relationship with one another. Um, I, I I find uh, I'm immediately suspicious of, of directors that that don't really communicate with the cast after the initial takes of a of a scene. Um, to you know, whenever I, whenever the notes are not character or story related, but simply technical over and over again, and a sense that you're trying to be molded into a shot that is interesting because of what it is as a shot, rather than whether it's really serving the scene, that 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 always tends to make me a little nervous. Alan's in the witness protection program. He just went into. Uh, no, yes. no, no. I'm thinking. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't locate it to like one moment. But I, I do not like directors that scream at the crew. I have a thing about that. I don't like that. Uh, I don't. I, I'm, I'm a little bit leery of people that decide they want to do improvisations before we start shooting, and we don't know each other. Uh, those directors always make my start rolling my eyes because everybody wants to get to work on the damn script. And once you got the script a little bit under your belt, I think then an improvisation can be exciting and as, as a tool. But to start out with, with people you don't know, improvising on characters you don't know yet, it just starts feeling like a waste of time. And it's always been, that, that to me is like a novice director. I don't mm -hmm. like directors that don't want to rehearse. That that annoys me. Uh, I don't like actors that don't want to rehearse. They they think think they they's going to ruin their spontaneity. At which time I point to them out the most spontaneous, uh, the most spontaneous performance in the history of movies is Brando and Streetcar, who had at that point done it about three hundred times on Broadway when he did the. So I, I I don't want to hear about spontaneous from people. Make it look spontaneous. Uh, do you do you, do you miss directing, Alan? You directed a handful. I just of, started. You, black... Yeah, I, lo I, I loved directing. Uh, yeah, I, I watched Little Murders last night, uh, yeah. which is just yeah. so yeah, wonderful I'm and so very proud of it. Incredibly dark. I'm very proud of that film. And it's very current. It's, it's surprisingly Sadly. yes. Yeah, I was going to yeah, mention. Yeah, that. you're that uh, paranoid. Uh, broken down like police chief or something like lieutenant yes. practice <laughs> yeah it, it terrifies even me when i watch it and i i played the character you made it in what 70 71 and it's and it's as relevant as 71 was it 70 71 oh god that's 50 years ago i believe so yeah i must be yeah. old <laughs> And we like fire sale on this show. We've talked about oh, it a lot. Oh, my God. That's another one that would never get shown anywhere. <laughs> it's, you, you obviously had a taste, and maybe you still do, for black comedy in those yeah, days. Yeah, I still do. I still like black comedy. Tell us about the late, great Fred Willard, who was in the original Little Murders. Oh, my God. Was him. Because we just lost yeah, him. Yeah, I know. He was... You, you, if you spent time with him, you felt like you were some farmer's assistant from Idaho. <laughs> 
And there's no, no hint, no vestige of a sense of humor. Then he gets on stage and he just wiped the floor with everything that was going on around him. He had a... He played, uh, he, he played the lead in Little Murders in my production Off-Broadway. Mm-hmm. And every, there's a scene in which uh, uh, Patsy uh, yells at him, has a long monologue where she's yelling at him and he's sitting in the chair listening. He fell asleep in that scene every night of the run and she had to go shake him <laughs> awake every night. He, he fell asleep on stage every night. How did he woken up? You know, I had a thought about him because uh, you you had brought him up. Uh, it, we were talking about him, Frank, in our, our earlier conversation. Yeah. And um, yeah. But but he there was something about Fred. And I had never thought of this before. But there's something about him that carried on the tradition of Bob and Ray in a, in a certain way. There, there was something about oh interesting something about the 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 the, the minutia of of these kind of simpleton characters that that he was able to make so hysterically funny over and over again, uh, and by underplaying yeah yeah and and they yeah. they both like specialized in like really boring characters yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who became hysterically funny in their in their boredom yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a great story in the book I'll, ma- I'll make people buy the book alan and read it but there's a great story in improvised life where you were th- you, you threw the cast in improvisation oh in, in, in little murders in in, in little oh, murders that's right. i forgot about that yeah yeah yeah, I'll I'll make them buy the book. By the way, we love those actors, Gilbert. How much do we love uh, not only Elliot Gould, who turns up yes. in a great episode of the Kaminsky Method, by the way, but Vincent Gardino. Oh he was, my God, yeah. he was Elizabeth Wilson and, yeah, and uh, were... Lou Jacoby. <laughs> yeah, they, we live for yeah, these people. They were just just wonderful. We put up an electrified fence, and if they catch you going outside of it, they beat the shit out of you. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't like it, but it's an emergency. <laughs> we uh, we get a lot of listeners. Uh, this show's also on Sirius Radio now, as I told you guys. So we're going to recommend to the people listening uh, Little Murders, which you can find, and it's terrific. And also Fire Sale. With that great cast, and uh, Alan and I were on the phone talking about Richard Libertini, who, who can do no wrong. Can do no wrong. But Kay Medford, Vincent Gardenia, Rob Reiner, I mean, Sid Caesar turns up. That's, it's, a, it, Anjanette Comer's hilarious. It's a great it's, cast. It's like an animated cartoon, really. Yeah. Truly funny. And we were all pretending to be, it didn't work. Well, I'm, it works for me. I must be in the minority. I love that you said, too, that, that, that you need to see people having a good time. You need to know that people are enjoying each other when you're watching. No, no, when I'm acting art. with people. Yeah, but you also said when you go to Carnegie Hall or when you oh. when you see any kind of you see a music group together, you it, it helps you to know that they get along and like yeah, each other. Yeah, but everybody feels that way. If they stop and think about it, you get the to, to find out the Beatles didn't get along is depressing. Uh, it is, and it doesn't make any sense, and it's it's depressing for all of mankind. Uh, it's it's just a it's. It, it, I, you say to yourself, what hope can there be for the, something like the United Nations or Doctors Without Borders if these people just doing this silly stuff can't have a good time? What's what's the hope for the rest of us? And Martin and Lewis, you hear yeah. stories about yeah. Yeah. Same, Abbott same and thing. Costello. You don't want to know. Yeah, yeah it, it does. It hurts your enjoyment of it. I got a couple of questions from listeners I warned you guys about. 
We got about 70 of them, but I'm going to narrow oh, it down to a five or six. <laughs> no, these were, <laughs> these, were, these were sent in ahead oh, so of time on the internet. Oh, for other shows. So you're going to give, yeah, yeah. give me Julie Haggerty's <laughs> question? You're going to give me Julie Haggerty's questions? Yeah, we're going to give you Julie's. Uh, Ken Feinlieb says, I don't have a question but a, but a comment. The sardine liqueur scene in Big Trouble <laughs> is the single funniest thing I have ever seen an actor do. <laughs> that's it's the longest sweet. spit so take a, in history. Yeah. Yes. I, I just, yeah. And Be Beverly, I told Beverly you were coming on, and she said, I never forgot the honor of working with that man and the grace he showed Who is this? on Big Trouble. Beverly D'Angelo. Oh I thought she hated yeah. me. No, no. I used to go up. I used to go up to a periodic place and say, "Beverly, you look just beautiful today." She said, "Oh, shut up! Don't ever say that again. Don't tell me that." <laughs> Here's one from somebody you may know, Adam. You know a gentleman named Sherman Allen? I certainly do. He says, uh, first of all, I want to ask. Uh, you've got to ask Allen something about the original Broadway production of The Sunshine Boys, but." I also want you to get Adam to tell one of his long jokes, Possi possibly a la Shelley Berman. Uh, I, I, is it time for me to tell a joke? I, 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 yes. I think so. Uh, something suitable. All right, a kid is sitting on a park bench eating some candy, and an old man walks up to him and says, Kid! You don't want to do that. You don't want to eat candy. Candy's bad for you. You keep eating candy, you're going to have all kinds of problems with your health. Take it from me. Kid looks up. He says, uh, my grandfather lived to be 103. And the old man says, really? Did he eat a lot of candy? Kid says, no, but he minded his own fucking business. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you, Sherman. <laughs> We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And, and one thing we've discussed on this show, and, and especially we've discussed it like movies like Airplane, and it's like that of playing comedy seriously. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that, that dad uh, has always had a particular genius at. Um, the, the ability to play absurd comedy with dramatic stakes, uh, like someone's life is dependent on it. Like Sheldon and the in-laws. Yeah, I, didn't go, I, I should have done more with Sheldon. I, I, as I look back on it, I, I felt like I was having too good a time. Uh. <laughs> now, that, that's something... Um... Uh, with both of you, uh, it, one, do you watch your movies and TV appearances afterwards? And two, do you find yourself going, oh, God, I'm awful, and you watch your own performances? I, 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 from my point, I think I'm relatively objective to what I'm doing. Mean, I think I'm capable of enjoying what I've done if I'm happy with it and critical of it, if I feel like I, I've made uh, a couple of 
technical errors or choice errors and stuff, things like that. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know how, why or how, but I think I'm relatively objective. Some, somebody once asked me in an interview, he says, do you ever look back at old performances, decry them, feel like that? And I said, yeah, but that means you're growing. That means if you look, if you do better now, that means I'm growing. So that's okay. It's all right. Huh? Everything's fine. I, uh... <laughs> Except, I'm glad you think except so. Except for the world, everything is fine. Yeah, yeah everything. Aside from we're all prisoners in our homes, but otherwise, I, I watch some of my work and want to crawl under the furniture, and 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 occasionally I, I end up being pleasantly surprised that things turned out better than I thought they. Would. I gotta say, there've been several occasions where I haven't known how to play something, and I say, how would Adam do it? And that's several times. Wow. What what's a favorite performance, or if not a favorite performance, what what what's a performance that you just you can't turn off if you see Adam doing it or, and vice versa. Uh, um, Northern Exposure, that, definitely. Uh, yeah. I love the, the film he directed. Uh, my other son, Matthew's wife. Uh, what the, what's the name of it, Adam? I can't it, was, it was Tony's wife, uh, Amelia. I'm sorry, uh, Amelia, yeah. And, and it was My Louisiana Sky. Yeah. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, I told yeah. you, Adam, I watched I it. I've watched very it good. many times. Uh, yes, it's beautiful. His work on uh, on East Wing, West. What is it? West Wing. West Wing. West Wing, and yeah, uh, those and 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 the first thing he ever did, which is People Soup, which is the short film I direct. I still love to watch. Um, that's four. How many more do you need? <laughs> <laughs> that's enough. Adam, same question. Uh, you know, I, I just had the great pleasure of turning my son onto the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming, and um, I. How old is your son? He's fifteen, and he he okay. knows he knows his grandfather's work, but he he knows his his current uh, work, more recent work, better. He had never seen it, and uh, I, I I just love that movie. I, I love the entire movie, and I think Dad's performance in it. Uh, would be amazing under any circumstances. The fact that it's his first film, it always blows me away. It's just such a masterful, beautiful piece of work. Um, I love him in Little Miss Sunshine. Um, I, mm -hmm. I loved him in the film um, The Heart is the Lonely Hunter. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, God, it's hard, it's hard to pick just a few because there have been enough. so many that have just blown me away. <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a fan. As are we. The in-laws is right up there, too. You know, just... you know speaking speaking of the in-laws, Alan, uh, Andrew was on with us. He he told us that, and obviously he's he wrote it, and he's seen it hundreds of times. He says the little moments in the film, the throwaway moments, are the things that bust him up now. Like Peter talking about the chicken sandwich. Yeah, well, that, that was improvised. That, right. that, I, that, that I forced him to do that we were we were rehearsing that scene where he's driving backwards on the uh, on the freeway and he didn't have any dialogue there and uh, and he just started talking about just started talking about this chicken sandwich that he just eaten in town <laughs> i said you got the grande yeah, yeah i said you gotta you gotta do that in the film because that's the film and so he said okay and uh, and he did it and that was it that oh, was the, i think one of the few things that was improvised in the movie i remember too after an insane car chase in the in-laws you they finally the car stops and and you say 
Did we hit the little boy crossing the street? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was written. That was that was that was Andrew. It, what makes Andrew laugh is like Falk in the coffee shop saying to the guy, "Is this decaf? It's very good." <laughs> my, my, one of my favorite things in the whole movie is the fact that we're talking about secret CIA missions at the top of our lungs in the, in yeah. the coffee shop. Right. But the two things that still crack me up in the movie is that the fact that we make no reference to the fact that he's talking about secrets is so <laughs> full. And the other thing is when I'm running for my life in the hotel in Mexico and he keeps throwing me down to the ground. He does about three or four times. And by that time, I'm so insane that we just keep the conversation going. <laughs> those are the, those oh. are the two things that make me and, and really and wonderful. And there's that classic part of the film where he talks about the giant flies. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh the, the yeah the the the, uh, the Jose Guercos de, de the, uh, the Jose Guercos de Muertes. Yeah. yeah. There's red tape in the bush. Enormous flies. Enormous <laughs> flies. <laughs> I'm going to mention two Alan Arkin performances that maybe maybe fly under the radar a little bit, Alan. When people look at your career, Simon. Oh, that's fine. I like it under the radar. <laughs> I like that one. Somewhere and, under and, and the radar. And you're Sigmund Freud in the 7% series. Yes. Yeah, I haven't seen I was afraid to look at that. I, I, I felt like I under underplayed that terrible. No, it's great. It's a great it's a great movie and a great performance. I love that Which, film. I got screwed up because what happened was I got the part and uh, I started researching Freud, uh, research and research. And I kept reading the script, and I say, "This has got nothing to do with what he's like. He was. This has nothing to do with what Freud was like." I finally talked to the writer. I said, "What did you do here?" He said, "Yeah, no, it's not Freud. It's my father. My father was a psychiatrist. I made did it after him." But by that time, it was too late. So I was playing. I was felt like I was riding two horses simultaneously. Uh, it's a nice image. <laughs> also, Hearts of the West. That that was fun. Another uh, another another good little film. Yeah. We were talking about how we had uh, Walter Matthau's son, Charlie, and uh, Chris Lemon, Jack Lemon's son, here last week. And we were talking about a lot of these wonderful little movies, especially in the 70s, that wouldn't really be made today. They wouldn't get theatrical releases. Movies like Hearts of the West, movies like Simon, maybe even The In-Laws. I don't know. I just saw a tiny movie that costs nothing that's one of the best science fiction films I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. It, it it's borderline genius. Uh, it's on. Uh, what the hell's the name of it, Adam? You what? Uh, you're better. Oh, I, you're, uh, of night, something of night. Uh, 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 vast of night. It's a strange yeah. title. V a s t of night. It's absolutely okay. brilliant. You know, uh, it, we'll it's funny with films that never would have gotten made. It's like you wonder how I don't think Pacino, De Niro, Jack Nicholson or Dustin Hoffman with the films they made would uh, have a career now. We were talking about movies like The Last Detail and, and uh, uh, you know, Kramer versus Kramer and and uh, and, the, and these kind of films. Serpico. Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon's a great example of fil films yeah, that would, would not would 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 maybe be character-driven stories that would end up on television yeah. now, as opposed to getting. You agree with that? Yeah, Adam? very much so. Uh, and and those those films were so, they were so informative for me, so so formative. Uh, and uh, 
Yeah, do you remember um, what was that Al Pacino Gene Hackman movie, Scarecrow? Oh, yeah, Scarecrow. Yes. Yeah, Jerry Schatzberg. Yeah, uh, and again, probably something that would have been ha- had to have been made on cable now in some way. Yeah. But you're directing a lot of this kind of television now. You're working on these very these quality shows. Yeah, I've I've had, like success yeah. actor driven shows like Succession and Masters of Sex and to and to yeah. a certain degree Fargo, certainly Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, and uh, and uh, don't forget the, what he did with uh, with uh, Get Shorty. One... And Get Shorty mm-hmm. is another good good example. Uh, yeah, I've been yeah. I've been very lucky uh, on some of the material I've gotten to work on the past ten years. It's, it's uh, I've gotten to collaborate with some of the the best television makers out there now, and it's it's been. You think pretty... we're experiencing a renaissance in television? I think it's been. It seems we. It seems we it's, are. It's been going on for some time, and and uh, it's been uh, one of the few pluses uh, of everybody being cooped up as much as they have i think a lot of stuff that had flown under the radar for for large audiences is now getting a second chance to be seen because there's there's so little original programming being made now that people are going back and and looking at some of the great work that's been done over the past few years there's let's put kaminsky method in that in that group too yeah another another character driven very smart show yeah very much so and Alan, you said, unlike so many actors, you like working with kids. Yeah, I love working with kids. Well, my, you know, my training is improvisation. And uh, I, when I see a kid whose his eyes are glassy because he's, he's, they're focused on the lines he's been learning, I, I'll do things to trip him up, change something, though he's got to force himself back into the moment of what's going on now. Uh, and once in a while you work with a kid who's extraordinary, like I did with uh, in the, in Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, working with Abigail was amazing. It's like I was working with an eight-year-old kid who, who behaved as if she had a 50 years of experience behind her. She was extraordinary, uh, incredibly alive and present and fun. Uh, yeah, I love working with kids. Dogs, I have a hard time. <laughs> I, I heard you like touching other actors, and that's that's one of the things you got going with Michael Douglas. He didn't mind you touching him. Yeah, he's very very easy to work with. He's uh, incredibly uh, uh, flexible and easy to work. With. Do you, yeah. with both of you, in do you have a habit in the middle of a performance? You're saying, "Boy, I just don't know what I'm doing here." Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if I make it to the middle of the performance, uh, things are going really well. <laughs> yeah. I, I I used to, I had that on stage much more than uh, film. I don't have that very much, but uh, in on stage I used to get that a lot. I was reading that when you were an enter laughing, you would get bored by doing the same thing every night. So you would you would start standing in different places and would occasionally throw the other actors off? Well, yeah, in order just to keep some life going in and not feeling like it was rode after four or five, six months, which doesn't do the actor any good, the producer. Uh, I'd, I'd try just doing a different piece of blocking and in order to just get a fresh perspective on a look or something. And the actors would all look where I was supposed to be instead of where I was. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask Dad to tell the story about the uh, tell the story about the guy that came backstage after you'd been doing the show for about a year. Oh yeah, I've been doing. I've ne- I was. I was. It was the. It was a play in which I was never off stage. Uh, uh, constant. I was done it for about eight months. A guy comes back. 
And you'd never missed a performance, right? I never missed a performance. The guy comes running backstage. He's all feverish. His eyes are wide. He says, Mr. Arkin? I said, yeah. He says, can I tell you, this is one of the greatest performances I've ever seen on stage. He says, and between you and me, you're much better than the guy who usually plays the part. (laughs) (laughs) That that was 50 years ago, and I still don't know what I should have said. (laughs) I, I can't get... Adam, you did plays. You did I Hate Hamlet. You did Brooklyn Boy. Did you get bored? Did you get? Did you experience the same thing? No. Doing the same? I I, I, I didn't. Um, I mean, first of all, I, 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 I've done a fair amount of theater, but I've never been in a production that ran so long that there was ample opportunity to get bored. Um, and second of all, the, the, the show in which I made my Broadway debut, I Hate Hamlet, and speaking of seven percent solution, it, it starred uh, Nicole Williamson, who oh, wow. who was responsible for uh, getting drunk and attacking another actor on stage. Um, about a month into our run, we made the front page of the Post uh, that with with a blazing headline that said, "You know, Broadway swordplay turns real." Uh, actor storms off stage after co-star whacks him in butt. Um, and uh, that was Nicole Williamson and uh, Evan Handler. And th- the insanity that went into that production kept it from ever being boring. It, it, it was I see. holding <laughs> on for dear life every night. Can I, can I tell a story? Uh, a little story. At, around that time, Adam calls me up. He was out of town. I said, hi, how are you doing? He said, oh, Dad, he says, I'm in this play that's, it's, I'm stinking, the, the, the play is terrible. Please help me. Will you come up and look at it? We're, we're having tryouts out of town. Will you please come up and look at it? And I said, sure. I put on my dad hat, which I would love doing. And I, I drove up to where they were having tryouts, and I sat through this performance thinking, oh, I can, I'll fix him. I'll, uh, I'll give him some suggestions that will straighten everything out. And I watched a brilliant brilliant, perfect performance in a hysterically funny play. And I had no nothing to offer whatsoever. I said, except to tell him to shut up and just do what he's doing. And he got a Tony nomination from it. Wow. Know. But I saw that aspect of dad just flying out the window. It was a little bit sad. <laughs> oh, so it's bittersweet yeah. in a way. Tell, tell us about Groucho. Gilbert will appreciate this. Tell us about Groucho showing up in the theater at a Second City oh, performance Oh, my God. One we night. did a thing. We, we did a uh, one of our acts at that point was a Khrushchev-Kennedy debate where we take suggestions from the audience. And I played Khrushchev. Seven Darden played my interpreter. Uh, Andrew Duncan played uh, Kennedy. And Zora Lampert played Mrs. Kennedy. And we'd feel questions from the audience, and I would answer in fake Russian, and, and uh, my job was very easy. Severin Darden would make up things to say. So we're, sitting, we're, we're, up, we're doing the, the, uh, that scene. <clears throat> Groucho comes one night. We're all wildly excited and nervous. He puts his hand up, and I wore, like a, I don't ask me why, but I wore a, like a New York cab driver's hat as cruise jet. And uh, don't ask me why. <laughs> don't ask me why. And he and he raises his hand. He says, "Mr. Khrushchev." I said, "Why?" Well, he said, "Where did you get that hat?" Severin, Severin, audience laughs. Severin answers, and uh, and uh, he goes on. His hand goes up again. He says, "How much would a hat like that cost me?" <laughs> <laughs> 
I answer seven translates. He goes, hand goes up 20 goddamn times. <laughs> and it's always gradual. He said, everything is about the hat. That's He wouldn't talk about anything <laughs> except the hat. What size is a hat like that? Is, it, is that a tweed or a gabardine? <laughs> it was the only time in the history of Second City that the, all of us had a runoff. We just ran off stage and quit. <laughs> Uh, just in, in, a, in a state of abject hysteria. And he, but you, you yeah, got well, he to came know backstage and was so complimentary and sweet and warm, and we were so grateful to see him. I mean, he's the, he was the father of improvisation in this country, after all, he and his brothers. And uh, he used to come and see me at openings, and, or, and then he invited me to his home, and we got, we got pretty friendly. Yeah, it oh, was that's great! It was, it was, I loved him. He was a lovely guy. What What about the phone call you got one night from Marlon Brando's oh, assistant? Oh God, that's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm sitting in. I think it was in the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. I was staying there for some reason, some publicity thing or a movie or something. And I get Mr. Arkin's. I'm sitting in the dining room. Mr. Arkin's phone call for you. I go over the phone to Mr. Arkin. He says, uh, uh, "Mr. Marlon Brando would like to speak to you if you have a, a few moments." I said, "Okay." He says, "Do you, uh, do you have time in a half an hour?" I, I said, "Yeah, I'll be here." So half an hour later, phone rings. Mr. Arkin, he had a phone call for you. I get up. Hello, uh, Alan. Hi. He says, "It's Marlon." I'd never met him. I didn't know he knew I was alive. I said, I, I was I'm calm, and I, I felt like I knew him somehow, some strange reason. He said, how are you? He says, well, you know, all things considered, I think I'm doing pretty well. I said, wow, that's a lot of things to consider. And he says, what? <laughs> and I knew I was in trouble right then and there. If he's considering all things, that's going to take a week. Uh, and he invited me to his home to this day. I don't really know why. And we spent six hours together talking, and uh, he, uh, I'm not sure, I, my suspicion was he wanted to pump me about, about, uh, um, uh, Andrew Bergman. Uh, oh, about Bergman, because he yeah, was making the freshman. I think that was the reason, yeah. but he was so kind of left-handed and devious that he never came out and asked it. Uh, but what was really the most interesting thing about the evening to me was that he had always decried acting, say anybody can do it, nobody's, nobody, it's nothing. He spent the entire evening, six hours acting. Whenever he was talking, telling a story, he'd be playing all the characters. We'd imitate everybody and everything, the entire evening. Wow. Acting constantly. So that was really fascinating. Adam, as we wind down, tell us about working for the Coen brothers in, in A Serious Man and then interpreting the Coen brothers by you, you obviously you were a lifelong fan and then getting to direct yeah. Fargo. Um, it, it was a dream come true. Um, uh, Your first shot, by the way, has a Coen brothers joke in it. Do you know, you know what I'm referring to? First scene of the first episode of the castle. Remind, remind me what it's scribbled on the wall, senior grease. Oh yeah. 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 It's an inside joke. Yeah. 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 Um, inside joke. It, it was a dream come true. Uh, I, I had, been a, a huge fan of theirs uh, from their first film on and and uh, was super excited at the idea of getting to work with them. I also knew it was a situation that was fraught with the potential for, you know, disillusionment because they were such heroes of mine. 
but um, it, it more than lived up to any expectation. They were the most um, supportive, uh, specific, um, intelligent, and uh, inclusive directors I think I've ever worked for. And um, the way they ran that whole, the, the way their organization is run, the way they uh, include people, <clears throat> they built rehearsals into the film so that we all at the start of it got our wardrobe fitting and, and put a great deal of time in rehearsing for a number of days. So by the time we, we w went home and then came back to do our work, we, we felt like part of a company at that point. So it automatically makes you feel more connected to everybody. And, uh, and that carried through to everything they did with the film after we had shot it, their, their editing sense and their ability to protect anything good that happened in the course of filming a scene. It somehow all ended mm -hmm. up on screen. You find yourself in circumstances where if, if a, a small portion of what you felt really good about ends up somehow a part of things, it's a win. And in their case, they just were able to always, you know, curate and take care of anything, any happy accident, any moment that was special and are, are so brilliant in their editing choices that they were able to make use of all of it. So they're just uh, they're just consummate filmmakers and, and lovely people. And so you wanted you wanted to buy in. You wanted an opportunity to play. In oh, that absolutely, world. yeah, yeah. With 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 Fargo. Uh, yeah, uh, and and Fargo had already established itself as a, a an incredible uh, you know adaptation or launch, launching point for that that material, uh, because I, I I came on and worked in the second season of it, so I already had the benefit of seeing what they did with the first and was blown away. Yeah. The Cohen brothers seem like they like torturing the characters in their movies yeah I, well i think i i think they viewed their own lives as having some torture in it and uh and they've put that into everything they've done <laughs> i i saw so i told you on uh, when i was texting you the other night that the episode i mean uh, of the two you directed uh palindrome is great too but that next to last episode of season two the yeah. castle and I was snooping around online, and Fargo fans, a lot of Fargo fans, consider that to be the best episode. Oh, of the that's run. that's a huge and, uh, compliment to hear. Yeah, uh, and it's it's I, I, again, I don't know anything about directing, but I was talking to you on the phone about the staging of that 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 shootout, that scene in the in the motor. Line, yeah, that that uh, which yeah. is just fantastic television. That, that was a. That was a nail biter prepping for that, figuring out the logistics of what was going to have to go into it. Because we were shooting it over multiple days. There were huge action sequences that had to be shot not only uh, from within the action, but in like sort of two concentric circles outside of the action. Everything had to be synchronized. We were shooting on location and on stages, and it all had to be um, cut together in a way that made it feel like one event. Um, and it, it, it obviously turned out well enough to make an impression on people. So We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Alan, this isn't a question. It's just another a remembrance from a fan. I don't have a question, but I have to thank Alan for giving me a beautiful family memory. My parents laughing like crazy at the movie The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming. Uh, Alan's accent was perfect because it sounded exactly like my grandparents trying to speak English. That's nice. Yeah, it was. That was. 
If I had quit the the business right then, it would have been fine because I, I, the experience of doing that movie was absolutely extraordinary in every in every conceivable way. Norman Jewison created an atmosphere on the set that I've hardly ever seen since. Uh, it was. We were all there for the same reason. Everybody in the cast, it was absolutely a, a, a communal project. We involved the entire town in the in the making of the film. Mm -hmm. the, the dailies were shown at the local theater and the entire town used to come to the dailies every night. I mean, it was that kind of open, loving, uh, conscious experience. Was just you feel glorious. it in the film. You, you yeah. feel that energy. I in think the so. Film. Yeah. And you? And Nor Norman is still with us, happily. Yeah. Yes, he is. And you thought it was important to make your character really a good, like a likable character. Yeah, I mean, we we were we were scared when we made that film. We were scared what the reaction was going to be. We, it was the time, it was the time when uh, Russia was considered uh, they were considered not just bad people but demons from hell. And uh, we thought we were gonna we we were gonna get picketed. We had no idea what was gonna happen. And the whole country, when the movie came out, breathed a sigh of relief. Everybody said, "Oh, thank God! Finally, somebody come, came out and had the had the guts to say it that they're just people, just like us. There may be problems with the government, but underneath that, it's just all people trying to survive." Uh, and it changed to a certain. It's the only film I've ever done that I felt like had some kind of social uh, uh, action as a result of it, or, or change of heart. Uh, and I was enormously proud to be connected. It was what I'd always wanted to be connected with in film anyway. And to have that be my first film was just uh, enormously uh, moving for me. Which you indirectly owe to Peter yeah. Ustinov. He had made too much, he, he had got offered the part and had made too much money that year, so turned it down, so. <laughs> So I was the, the I was the default. <laughs> one more one more comment for you, Adam. Uh, Marshall Armand tour. Uh, your performance in the Chicago Hope episode called "The Parent Rap" in season two. Your character's conflicted anger and grief over the death of his yes. father is is an is a, a script and an episode and a performance that I still think oh, I'm about. Very touched to hear that. You know, all the great work you did in Chicago Hope, and when I think of Chicago Hope, I think of you singing Luck Be a Lady. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Dude, that was, it was great. I, I've got, it was I've got great. that uh, saved. I, I think it's and a wonderful episode, but I, I, I am confronted every time I watch it with how much I am not a, uh, a musical star by can, any means. Can, yeah, but you're a musician. In your heart, you're a musician, and you can feel it in every note out of your mouth. And, and not only that, to have seen him do it on Broadway, which I did, was just great. He was great in Guys and Dolls on Broadway. Gentlemen, this is my father, who is very proud of me. I want you to, want you to factor that into everything. As he should be. I'm not your father. As he... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I want this to be the first to know. You know, there, there is one other nice thing in the book, too, uh, Alan. There are a lot of lovely things in the book, but it opens with that great story of you and yeah, Madeline Kahn. That was a great story. And, and do, you want, do you want to share that? Because I think it, it winds up being the theme of the book and in, and in part kind of a, a theme of your journey. Very much so, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you want me to tell that story? <clears throat> yeah, well, I, I did sweet. a movie with Madeline Kahn once, and uh, she was a delight and hard, very hardworking and a lovely person. And... 
We were between shots. She and I were sitting on the lawn somewhere. We were on a, on a hillside in Westchester County and uh, just chewing on grass. And I, I finally realized how good she was at so many things. And I asked her, what was, what was your initial impulse? What was the first thing you, you wanted to be? She thought about it. She says, I don't really know. I said, well, was it singing? Was that the first thing you thought about being a singer? She says, no, actress. Not really. She's a comedian? Uh, no. I said, well, what was the first first thing you thought of Bonnie? She says, well, I used to listen to a lot of music. She said, and, and that's what I wanted to be. And I said, what? She said, I, I wanted to be the music. And uh, it was like being hit in the head with a two by four. And I realized that that's, I think, what all artists want to be. They don't want to do it. They want to you really want to be it. And the next best thing is to doing it. And, uh, it, it gave me something to reflect on for a long time. Mm -hmm. So like the story of, of my daughter, Molly, when she was about uh, six years old, she was watching uh, Olympic skating on, on television. And her mom said to her, you're, you're enjoying this, honey, huh? And she says, yeah. She says, I, I, I I, I, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. And her mom said, uh, she says, you want to, you want to do that someday? You would like to, you'd like to start doing that when, when you grow up? And she says, no, I, I, I can do it now. All I got to do is learn how to skate. <laughs> but she knew she had, she knew she had it in her. The, 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 the event was already living in her. Before we let you guys get out of here, because we've kept you long enough. Adam, at least tell the story of how you became Chuck McCann's unofficial agent. <laughs> well, uh, it, it harkens back to one of the movies I, I mentioned of Dad's, uh, uh, The Heart is the Lonely Hunter. And uh, I was very young when the film was being made. I think I was no older than about nine or ten. And they were in early pre-production for the film, and Dad was getting ready to do it, and very excited about this this project and came back one day uh, disappointed about the fact that a, a major character in the film uh, had to be recast and they couldn't find the right person for the role and they were going to probably delay production for an indefinite amount of time while they figured out how to find that person. And I, I had the presence of mind at that age to ask what the, what the role was, what the character was, and Dad described it to me. And there was a television show on at the time, a kid's show in the mornings in New York that I had been watching regularly. And I brought up the name of the man uh, who starred in it, who was Chuck McCann, uh, because he sounded like someone that could play the character Dad described. Dad watched the show, as I recall, watched the show and called the producers uh, as excited to bring him in to at least be interviewed for the role which they did and subsequently uh, gave Chuck McCann the, the role of, uh, I forget the character's name, but-, but Antonopoulos. Antonopoulos, dad's, uh, the, the, the- Friend. The yeah. learning impaired man that dad was sort of uh, the, the mentor yeah. to. And, and, um, and Chuck would always introduce me as his agent because he, he had been made privy to the story. Lovely man. A That's a great man. story that, that that you had those instincts at that age. Uh, yeah, I guess that that was uh, already the beginnings of uh, a, a, a desire to be uh, able to have a, a word in casting.
We, we had Chuck on here when we first started the show back in 2014. Yeah, sweet guy. lovely man. Made a lot of people happy. Made a lot of children now, happy. Alan, do you think there's going to be a bad medicine, too? <laughs> <laughs> Not until they release the first one. <laughs> Before I forget to say, uh, I had Paul Sand on the phone last night. Uh, well, I got to call Alan. him and he say said, he said, you know, we were, tell Alan we were kids. We yeah. were children. We worked together with Violet Spolin. I, I think I was 12 and he was maybe 13. <laughs> and then we didn't see each other again for 20 some odd years. Yeah. 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 Good guy. I, I want to talk to you about uh, how the, the Arkans are becoming a dynasty. We're becoming dinosaurs? What? <laughs> Not dinosaurs. <laughs> we had Danny Houston on here couple of months ago and that that's that's an acting dynasty and i think the arkans are becoming or have become an acting dynasty your two your other two sons are actors yeah. uh matthews in criminal <clears throat> minds yeah. and and uh and bull <clears throat> and ncis and anthony's on succession yeah. and the americans and it's a it's a it's and a I, family i'm proud to say i've worked with now. all my i've worked with adam more than i've worked with anybody else but i with tony i work i spent a year on stage with him in a play and I've worked with all three of the kids in multiple roles. We have never, in my memory, had one moment of issue, and either whether we're acting together or I'm directing them or Adam directing me. I, I can't recall one second when there's ever an issue. Uh, you say that now. Is that true? <laughs> How old are your children They're now? They're older than me now. They're all older than I have a 15-year-old son, uh, Emmett, and my daughter is, uh, she probably doesn't want me telling her age, but she's, uh, she's in her 30s and she's married. Are they, are they showing inclinations to, uh, to, to be performers? Because Gil, I think, Gilbert, your son at this point, it's pretty much a, a, a foregone conclusion <laughs> that, that Max is going to yeah, be a performer. Yeah, he's a talented one in my family. <laughs> My my daughter Molly is a performer. She she's d done uh, improv comedy uh, both here and in Seattle. Uh, they 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 had a, a improv group uh, called Blood Squad that became sort of a, a fixture up in the Seattle area. Um, and she's now working uh, as a producer in uh, Marta Kaufman's company. She's on Grace and Frankie and is developing new material with Marta. And my son Emmett is a—he's—he's he's a performer in that he's a, a bass player. He's been playing bass with a group that uh, has actually already played like the Whiskey and and uh, and they're, they're a really talented group of kids who've been playing since they were about nine. And um, he's just now starting to express some interest in acting. Yeah, um, he. Yeah, I. I, th I think he could end up uh, at least, you know, having that in his arsenal if it was something he wanted. To do. Like I said, it's becoming a dynasty. Yes, Gil. Well, what else do you have for uh, these men? Well, I can't resist it any longer, Alan. Um, go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? I'm trying to do a job here. Will you go to lunch? Isn't that what Kevin Spacey says to me? Yes. 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 Yeah. Was I supposed to not know what that is? Uh, no. <laughs> I just, I just, that was one of those, like, so many great scenes. What were, what was it like being with a cast like that? I mean, yourself included, of course. Uh... 
It was, it was wonderful. It was a, an amazing experience. But you know, people say it was a fun. It, it was. It's like fun if brain surgery is fun. Doing mammoth is like is like doing brain surgery. You can't. You know, you have to do every pause. You have to do every fumfer. You have to do every every uh, stutter. It's all written in. So if you miss a thing, you got to start all over from the beginning. If I miss a uh uh, and if I only do one of those, then you got to do the scene over again. So uh, we were rehearsed for a month, and then when they were shooting other scenes, most of my stuff was with uh, Ed Harris. So Ed and I would run to a dressing room, and we'd be run and run and run scene and run and run and run and run until we shot. There was so it was a sense of doing something really good and really well, but there was, it, it wasn't fun. It was fun afterwards when it was over. Uh, but it was a hell of a movie. I think it's really, a, really, a, really terrific a movie. I think it's the best adaptation of, of man on film. Yeah. It's just yeah. a great piece. Yeah. Gilbert, I'd like to see you do Glengarry Glenn Ross. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be good in it. I think I bet he'd be good. We we've asked a lot of actors that we've had on this show uh, this question. I'm gonna we'll wrap it with you guys and we'll ask. You know Gilbert's career. You've seen Gilbert in all these years. Do you guys, in your professional opinion, think that Gilbert could play a serious role? I have no doubt. I have hardly ever seen that somebody who was great at comedy that couldn't do something serious. I don't see why not. I have no, no problem imagining. How about that, Gil? Thank you both. Yeah. Adam didn't even wow. hesitate. No, I, I have no doubt. I, 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 think, I think it would be actually a, a, a great opportunity for whoever cast you in a serious role. I wouldn't jump at Richard III immediately. <laughs> and I, I, I want to add this also. Uh, not only do I think it should be serious, but I think you should think about playing a legless character. <laughs> and, and, and I'm, I'm serious now. You know what I would like to see you do? Because I felt like it's been mis... I'm, joke, I'm not joking. I'd like you to see you do Death of a Salesman. Wow. And I'm dead serious. Wow. Would, it, would he be bit for <laughs> No, I'm serious. The lead. The, the, lead, the lead Willie. death of a salesman. Wow. Because I love that. I think it's always been cast for him. Gilbert, the bar has been raised by Alan Arkin, who wants to see you do Arthur Miller. Oh, my God. I think you'd, I think you'd be I think you'd be a world-class Willie Loman. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I don't know what to say at this point. Other than... <laughs> Let's well. Are, are, let's will let you do it? <laughs> <laughs> this is. We need a yes or no, Gilbert. Adam, you want to take us out with one more joke? Oh my God! Uh, talk to Dad for a second. I'll try to think of one. Uh, can can okay. I do one or? Is, uh, oh yeah. Of yes, of course. Uh, a, a lady comes to meet her husband for dinner, and she's looking a little ashen. She says, "You okay?" She says, Charlie, I've got to talk to you. What? What is it? I, I, I have a confession to make. There's something I've been wanting to tell you for a long time, and I've never had the courage to say it. I've made up my mind today's the day i got to tell you. She says, what is it, dear? I'm, 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 you want to leave me? She says, no, no, nothing like that. She says, oh, thank God. She says, I'll listen to anything you want to tell me. She says, oh, okay, here it goes. She says, Charlie... I don't want children. She says, I know, I know you thought I did, and I, I may have misled you, but I do not want children. 
He says, oh, my God. She says, thank you for being so forthright and honest and open about it. She said, dear, he says, I, I've been feeling the same way for a long, long time, and I never have the courage to tell you. She says, you feel the same way? She says, yes, I do. She says, okay, let's tell them as soon as we get home. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Adam, no, Adam, Adam's got a joke. Oh. Okay, Adam. <laughs> you got to finish that. with multiple jokes. Uh, a doctor comes into a, a patient's room and says, uh, Sir, we got your test results back, and I've never seen anything like this, but you have virtually every communicable disease known to man. You're like a one-person plague. The guy goes, Well, that's terrible, Doc. What am I going to do? And the doctor says, Well, the, the first thing we're going to do is put you on a special diet. From now on, I don't want to have you eating anything other than uh, Swedish pancakes, fruit leather, and flounder. And the guy goes, Swedish pancakes, fruit leather, and flounder? What is that, to like beef up my immune system? And the doctor says, no, that's going to be about all we can slide under the door. <laughs> Excellent. Stupid. <laughs> So, Excellent. this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and we've been talking to the extremely talented father and son team of Adam and Alan Arkin. And happy Father's Day, and I want to thank a couple of people. I want to thank Estelle Lasher and Marsha McManus. Uh, your representation, who are lovely ladies and indulged us and were when made this happen, and our friend Gino Salamone, and of course the great John Murray. So thank you, gentlemen. The, our listeners will love this. This was a treat. It was yeah, nice to be able to spend nice. some time with you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe it'll happen again someday. Gilbert, Frank, thanks thank so much. You. Of course, yeah. Alan. Next next time, will you tell us how you why you made uh, why you made Jean Renoir cry? Oh, I just told him that uh, what his work meant to me, and he, I, I went on and on, and he started crying. I think because I was talking too long. <laughs> John, it was nice to meet you, and Dara, thank you. Thank you, guys. I like you because you don't make me nervous. I met someone like you before But only once or twice Once or twice And not very recently You'll do My blood pressure's normal No sleep at all Not since Francine And it's possible For me to concentrate On my work I'm glad I'm not walking on air And no trumpets go off In my ear I don't say to myself, get a hold myself, and I don't get a rash when you're near. You're trustworthy. 
I wouldn't worry if I had to go away for a few weeks You don't nag me for money all the time And one thing I forgot You're a very good cook And I certainly 